You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me in this episode as we finally get to take a look at the, the, the Gators opponent for this coming season, and Mark Rogers from Mark Rogers TV channel on YouTube joins me. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining me here uh, for the first time on Gators Breakdown. I've been on your show plenty of times. Uh, we kind of cut our teeth a little bit together uh, on YouTube years ago, and uh, just finally, uh, finally get you to talk some Gators and to some Gators opponents here for uh, Miami and FSU. And guys, listeners, if you want some of the best college football coverage out there, then you have to give Mark Rogers a follow on his YouTube channel. Go subscribe there, and you are set for uh, some great analysis on the sport we love so much. But uh, Mark, like I said, thanks again for uh, coming on here. Absolutely. Kind of different uh, being on this side of it, but I'll wait for the questions to be coming my way instead of doing it the <laughs> other way around. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like I said, this episode starts to look at the Gators' opponents for the season, and we're starting with Miami and Florida State. And uh, Mark, I wanted to bring you on because you do a great job with these two teams, and, and what you and, and what do you have in relation to these two teams going on on Mark Rogers TV? So every Wednesday night, we've got a lineup with uh, three live streams. We've got a Florida State talk that we've added about 10 weeks ago. So Florida State live at uh, 7 o'clock Eastern time, Miami at 8 o'clock Eastern time. That has been going on for several months. And then uh, throw in Ohio State at 9 o'clock. What the heck? Uh, 9 o'clock Eastern time with some Buckeyes talk. Absolutely. So, uh, what can what when fans go and check out the, these live streams? What can they expect as far as guests and, and analysis that they'll get on Florida State and Miami? Yeah, so we've got pretty much the same lineup every week in regards to the guests that I have on. So we want to maintain some consistency, but we move some people in and out. So you're going to see uh, SB Nation bloggers. You're going to see uh, writers for 247 Sports, Rivals, uh, those type people that uh, know what they're talking about in regards to those three programs uh, come on and uh, talk up uh, those three programs. All right, before we dive into Miami and FSU, hey, kind of a, the bookend of Florida's schedule. Florida starts the season with Miami, ends the season with FSU. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube as well. And using those services, please share, rate, and review the show and follow us on social media as well. 
uh, at Gators Breakdown on Twitter and uh, and Facebook as well. And don't forget, August 17th, kickoff party here in Jacksonville, um, Red Gill Bistro, August 17th, the week before Florida-Miami kickoff. If you can't find the RSVP on Twitter, reach out to me at GatorsBreakdown at gmail.com. Mark, so these preseason magazines that come out, you know, they come out late May. But my favorite aspect of these college football mag- preview magazines are getting the anonymous coaches' uh, thoughts on the two teams. We'll do this for Miami and FSU. We'll start with Miami first in here. And uh, so it says, opposing coaches size up Miami. And quote right here, one of the most unique first years I think we've ever seen between Manny Diaz leaving the program for Temple and then coming back to replace Mark Rick. You've got consistency in the program on the defensive side of the ball and relationships on the defense. Then you add in the new transfer portal U, and they're going to look totally different at a lot of places in week one. If it works, everyone will try to copy it. The guys we've seen coming in from the portal have made them more athletic, more competitive, and uh, right away. The actual high school recruiting class wasn't good by their standards. Defensively, keeping all three linebackers make them good right away. Add that with the new guys at the defensive end and that one from Virginia Tech, Trevon Hill. Um, Dan Enos is going to bring more of a pro-style look into Miami. I think you're looking at Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts and what Alabama did. That's more of him adjusting to the superior talent uh, to Alabama. Uh, we, we think you aren't going to see them go heavy on RPO. To be clear, you'll see it, or at least you should, because they have guys who can do it, but they will go more pro base and build off of that. It's obviously Tate Martell's job to lose at quarterback. He's better than anyone they've had while Mark Rick was there. So a lot to digest there uh, as far as what opposing coaches say, but let's go back to the beginning of it and uh, kind of surprise move of, uh, of Manny Diaz getting the Temple job and just a few days later getting named the Miami head coach when, when Mark Rick retires. Uh, based on who you've talked to, Mark, and your thoughts as well from, from following college football for so long, what is Miami getting in Manny Diaz? Well, in Manny Diaz, they get a guy that uh, has a large investment in the program already. Um, you know, the, the first year of a coach taking over a program, we tend to give them a little bit of leeway in terms of trying to build their culture. The terminology is different. Uh, the schemes might be different. Obviously, they typically bring in their own coaches on both sides of the football. So the players got to get used to the, the individual position coaches, different approaches, the whole deal might be slightly different and and we'll talk some Florida State where we got a lot of that uh, but with Miami obviously Manny Diaz he he was in charge of the dominant side of the football at Miami so he's got the buy-in already from the players they already like him they know him they know what what he's all about he's kind of this odd uh, combination of Miami guy Florida State guy graduated from Florida State but uh, uh, he's a Miami guy in, in that he's been in the program and obviously uh, cut his teeth at other places like Texas but his uh, father was the mayor of Miami and uh, he seems to bring just it, it's it's this um, recent trend I think of hiring um, excitable guys that uh, can connect the, to the players. Uh, the Nick Sabans and Urban Myers uh, would roll out the resume or the track record. He, 
Miami's got a guy here that's going to excite and connect with younger players, and he's already been able to do that. He somewhat re recovered. Uh, there was a mention there to the recruiting class. He somewhat recovered it, brought it back to respectability, was able to save much of it. The Mark Richt, uh, I know we don't have time for it now, but I'm just fascinated as to what happened there because uh, he just brought in an eighth-rated re recruiting class, a top-10 team that uh, went to an Orange Bowl, and then suddenly it seemed like he just gave up and maybe the family ties were too much, too mm -hmm. strong for him to do the right thing and basically save himself. But uh, I, I think Manny Diaz is a good hire. It's He's kind of an unpredictable hire. Uh, but again, this is another trend that we see in college football. Ryan Day at Ohio State, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, where guys have no head coaching experience at this level. They're given the keys and uh, they seem to have done rather well. Dabo Sweeney a decade ago and, and some other ones across the country. Most most of them have fared well. Others like a Clay Helton is a mixed bag. Well, we know that the questions, there's not a lot of questions on defense, and we'll get to that, but uh, offense is on the, on the mind of everybody there. Hiring Dan Enos as the offensive coordinator. So, um, you know, he's he's thought of, in, he's well thought of in some places and not so highly thought of in, in, in other places. And so maybe gets too much credit for what he did at Alabama last year, or maybe not enough credit for what he did at Alabama last year. So there's an enigma there in Enos, I, I think, as well. Uh, you know, they mentioned maybe a, a change toward uh, more of a pro style offense. That's what some of the coaches just said in, in that quote I read. Uh, but, you know, in, in college football, I don't think you can go total uh, pro style uh, there. And especially what, with what Miami has done the, the last couple of years. So in bringing Enos in and then the questions they have at quarterback, uh, there's probably you know, at OC and at quarterback. Those are uh, two big issues that really kind of have to be figured out uh, when you know, Florida and Miami kick off in week zero. Dave, I don't think there was a team in the country that had as much of a discrepancy between offensive production and defensive production. Uh, by and, many, and, and those Gator fans are used to that. Well, yeah, you've been through it for <laughs> a long time, not just one year, right. year after year after year after year <laughs> since uh, Tebow left pretty much. Uh, man, yeah, it's it's just strange. And that can't be good for a locker room, even though you preach it. We're a team. We're a brotherhood. We're united. It's got to wear on guys when they're busting their tail and giving up 16 points or whatever it was a game and, and losing ball games. Uh, but man, even when you dive into the advanced metrics beyond, it gets even worse for the, what the offense produced last year versus what we saw out of the defense. And the advanced metrics speak better for the defense than the actual uh, aggregate uh, standard traditional statistical totals. But the, the interesting here, so if you're a Miami fan, I think you, you can gain some hope in a, in a few areas. Number one, my goodness, Dave, wouldn't you love to take your team to the ACC Coastal? You, you take Florida to the ACC. That's an awful division. It's the worst division in college football. It is close, maybe with the Pac-12 South. Uh, the Big Ten West has gotten a lot better. Uh, it, it's, it's just wide open. Why, how does a team that's recruited? So the recruiting classes that will be on the field for Miami this year are as good as eighth in the country and as bad as 22nd and anywhere in between. So they've got recruiting classes in the teens facing teams that have recruiting classes in the 40s and 50s. Pretty much across the board, Virginia Tech a little bit better, North Carolina, it would surprise people, a little bit better than the rest of them as well. So they have a huge talent advantage. For them not to be winning this division most years is ridiculous, and they've got one out of pretty much if Virginia wins this year, they have exactly shared the division seven times with the seven teams in the division for the last seven years. Uh, so if they can solve the quarterback position, because they have 
a great stable of running backs and wide receivers. Uh, the offensive line has been awful uh, in recent years. Um but the play calling may have played into that. You talk to Miami fans and they'll maybe oversell this, that the offensive line wasn't that bad, that the play calling was that predictable, that of course the defense had a, a head start on each play and, and so that the offensive line didn't have a chance. But the, the, the ray of hope, or it's, it's, it's actually pretty legitimate and valid, is that you've got three quarterbacks who were four and five stars. So you're not riding your hopes on one of them. And so if they can make the right decision in fall camp, then the, the odds of all three of them failing is, is, is pretty much of a stretch. I got to think that one of them is going to come through. They all have tremendous talent. They're fairly similar quarterbacks, not, not completely. Uh, Nikosi Perry's got a stronger arm. Tate Martell would be the least accurate, but the, the upside in the run game. So they have slightly different skill sets, but it's not like they have to overhaul the mm -hmm. offense based on one choice of a quarterback. Uh, in one direction or the other. So, man, when you got three guys that are that are pretty high ceiling guys, they're just inexperienced. Obviously, Perry's got about six starts under his belt last year and played a little bit. Um, he he actually had more pass attempts than Malik Rozier, the uh, opening day starter last year, and uh, pretty inaccurate, fifty percent. But they also were one of the top teams in the nation and dropped passes uh, and thirteen TDs and six picks. So he's got the experience. Uh, a lot of people are high on. It seems like Tate Martell is the the the, the bipolar one in terms <laughs> of fan reaction. Some people love him. Uh, I think that's because of where he came from, both in college and in high school, and the five star. But he had a couple off days early in spring practice, and that kind of soured him uh, for a number of people that got got to see him throw not on his best day. But I don't think he's that bad. But he's not a great thrower. Can't make quite the throws that the other two guys can. And Jaron Williams is the guy that everybody forgets about. But uh, he certainly is a talented kid too. Mark, before we move on to to some other positions uh, of offense, when when camp started, you know, Florida Miami start camp a week earlier before everybody else. Well, should it have come as a big surprise that it was Tate Martell taking the first at the reps with, with, with the rest of the offense and Jerry Williams actually second because he Perry was third to me that leads to believe and you know of course following around uh, following Miami a little more closely this year because it is Florida's first opponent that there might have maybe been some off-field issues that Nikosi Perry wasn't necessarily taken care of in between spring uh during the summer months and starting fall camp yeah, so that goes back uh, to the Mark Rick season in 2018, where if you're just looking at straight football, you're thinking at some point in the season, Malik Rozier has tapped out. We we know where he not tapped out in terms of effort, but yeah. tapped out in regards to ceiling. We know who this kid is. He's really not that good. Why is Perry not starting? The season's unraveled. They've lost games. They're not going to win the division. Why is he not playing? Well, then we find out uh, certainly there were off-field issues nothing extremely serious but he got himself in the doghouse and mark Richt is pretty much on one end of the spectrum when it comes to discipline and wanting guys to do the right things uh we could have a debate about whether you know he took that to an extreme but uh he certainly tied his wagon to malik rozier and went that direction and perry could have played a lot more football last year not that he played great but uh yeah that may tell us something i think it also may tell us that it's a wide open deal, wide open competition. We're not giving anybody the nod. And since we know more about Perry and he's, he's, he's got a, he's got about 150 pass attempts roughly under a heavy fire last year. We at least know what he can and can't do versus the other two are just 
who knows? So let's give them more reps. Uh, I think they'll need help from a, a running back stable uh, that uh, loses Travis Homer. Uh, Mark, but I did find an interesting stat, 191 yards they averaged on the ground, and that was the most in the season at Miami since their 2001 national championship team uh, with 204.6 yards. So Travis Homer, as I mentioned, gone in his 985 yards. Um, you do have DJ Dallas, who brought about 100 carries and 600 yards uh, with him. Is, is this group going to be led by, by DJ Dallas and then uh, kind of filled in with Cameron Harris and Lorenzo Lingard? See, that's the thing is that uh, you can look at depth charts, but uh, that's another debate as to who's the best running back because DJ Dallas, he, he's ran uh, very well in, in the opportunities that he's gotten. He's had a few streaks of fumble issues uh, that have hurt him. Uh, the other two guys, when you talk Lingard, who's been banged up a little bit and his health is a little bit in question, but he should be okay. And then you talk about uh, Cam Harris now, used to be Davis, now Harris. He was a top 10 running back. I know Lingard gets a little bit more play because depending on your service, he was either the number one or mm -hmm. two running back the year he came out. But uh, Harris was like number eight in the country. So we both know that typically doesn't mean a whole lot that uh, they got three capable running backs. And I think that's, that's a battle too, in regards to determining how those carries are going to get distributed. But I would say, yeah, you're right. DJ Dallas is the guy uh, in the clubhouse that most likely is going to get the starts right out of the gate, unless he falters. Uh, but they're, they're pretty, they don't have a real deep roster of running backs, but when you get three decent, three potentially really good ones, I think they're good at running back. Receiver, I tell you what, they they it could have been so much worse if the if some things didn't happen and kind of fall their way. Jeff Thomas was going to Illinois, he was up in Illinois, then all of a sudden he's back at Miami. Once Manny Diaz gets in, looks like he may just not have wanted to play for Mark Rick. Then you get KJ Osborne, who was at Buffalo, if transfers in as a, one of the Max, you know, Buffalo is a Max school, so he was one of the top targets, top wide receivers uh, in that conference. Uh, Lawrence Kager goes to Georgia, but you do get Harley back as, as well. I know uh, and Jeremiah Payton, who's from here in Jacksonville, uh, he's probably the young receiver they're looking at to take that next step down there uh, in Coral Gables. This this uh, wide receiver core, as we kind of mentioned, and kind of some correlations to Florida when maybe not have a quarterback, maybe not have an offensive line, but you know there's talent at wide receiver. That may be the case here for Miami, too. If they can get some quarterback play, if they can get better protection from the offensive line, this receiver core is, is looked at as a bright spot. Yeah, they've got really good guys. They've got depth. They pretty much have what you have. I don't know that they've got a true number one. I think that guy was Amon Richards, unfortunately. Uh, he only caught one pass, and he was done last year and has uh, football-related injuries that uh, ended his career, uh, neck and spinal injuries. So uh, he was the guy. He was the ACC freshman of the year. But Jeff Thomas would tend to be the guy, but he's more of a deep threat. I don't mm -hmm. know that he's necessarily the guy that's going to catch eight or ten passes in any given week. Uh, he's more of a five-catch guy, let's uh, take the talk off the defense a couple times, mismatch on the outside. K.J. Osborne, as you mentioned, is the intriguing one because anytime you bring in a guy who was very successful but at a slightly lower level, uh, is he going to be able to step up and be a number one? But he caught 53 passes and eight TDs for Buffalo. But uh, according to all scouting, and I didn't catch a whole lot of Buffalo last year, but I yeah. <laughs> And and that he was a really good player, and and we'll see if that uh, if that translates to this level. But uh, yeah, Mike Harley's a really good um, 
player as well. They lost uh, Lawrence Cager, who went to Georgia. Miami fans aren't necessarily uh, sorry about that. He um, he dropped a lot of passes last year, but also you know contributed thirty or thirty five catches, something in that range. But it's it's a deep group that that uh, had a lot of those, uh, probably more so than just about any team in the country, at least in the Power Five, had a lot of those uh, you know balls get thrown in the dirt in front of them and you know four yards behind them and just just horrible quarterback play and inaccurate passing to to a large degree that we'll we'll get to see maybe. Uh, what they truly can do this year. In the offensive line, before we move to the defensive side, uh, two of the seven players who were in the rotation for 2018 are back. You got junior uh, Navon Donaldson, started 12 games last year uh, between the, the right side of the line uh, there, probably be a better guard. Uh, DJ Scaife, uh, 6'3", 300-pound guy, made seven starts in the final seven games there for the 2018 season at right tackle. Uh, he could play guard as well. So they might have some versatile pieces there, but still some still some questions about some jobs that are open. You got Kayleon uh, Bear, who uh, who was uh, a big target for Florida as well, uh, Cleveland Reed Jr. Uh, there's just a couple of names there. It, Miami, much like Florida this year, questions along the offensive line. But, it, you know, it, I think it's more about a question, can they identify their, their starting five? And maybe drill together quickly early in the season to, to you know to to try and get that big early season week zero win. Yeah, when you don't have a good unit and you lose some guys, uh, it, it remains to be seen whether uh, well that might be a good thing. Uh, <laughs> they, they lose the two players that had the most game starts for them. You mentioned Donaldson; he's thought of well enough to be on all the Outland and Remington Watch Awards lists uh, to start the season. Uh, yeah, they want versatile guys. Manny Diaz has spoken to that, that they want guys that, and, and you know, that offensive line is different than any other group on the field. Um, you may have five guys and be able to say, these are the best five guys from a talent standpoint and from the standpoint of being able to execute on the field. But unfortunately, those three guys can only play guard. So we've got an issue. So you want versatility up front where you can mix and match. And they're they're uh, they've been hindered in that regard the last few years, and they want that to be a better um, component there that they can utilize so that they they can get the best players on the field. Uh, they had a two star actually in uh, Zion Nelson, who showed himself out in spring camp, and uh, he became the rage as much of an as as an offensive lineman can be as uh, providing some hope. And I guess he really showed out in the spring, and they've got hope that he can break into the lineup as well. Let's move to the other side of the ball for the Gators' first opponent of the season, uh, the, and the the defensive line and, and the defensive front. You know, I just we just mentioned the offensive line for Miami, with the defensive line or the offensive line for Florida, uh, going to have some questions too. So some some inexperience that they're bringing, and I know Miami and, and what they were able to do on the defensive side of the ball. You know, kind of sees an advantage with 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 their defensive line and, and their linebackers, their front seven. Uh, they lose. Uh, defensive tackle Jared Willis, who Gator fans are very familiar with, the transfer from Florida who played at Miami uh, there. He ranked second in the ACC with 18 tackles for a loss. Uh, Joe Jackson uh, ranked third in the conference with nine sacks. Uh, so Willis and Jackson are gone. Uh, but, you know, really going to kind of depend on, on Garvin to kind of pick up that slight there. 17 tackles for a loss, five and a half sacks in 2018. So some great stats there um, uh, you know, at, at, at that position uh, for him. Scott Patchen, uh, fifth-year senior, uh, he's he's healthy. We mentioned uh, we're going back to the coaches' thoughts of Virginia Tech uh, transfer to Von Hill. He brings some uh, some leadership there. Miami has some good pieces to work around here up front on the defensive line. 
Yeah. So one, one of those stats that I talked about off the top in regards to showing the discrepancy between offensive and defensive production, this team had a havoc rate of 24% last year, meaning 24% of the plays that the other team ran, they were throwing people back for sacks, tackles for loss, passes, defense, pass breakups, interceptions, highest rate in the country. They were very disruptive. Uh, Willis Jackson gone, as you mentioned, and the stats backed up uh, my evaluation of Willis in particular last year is every time I watch Miami play, which was typically, you know, eight or nine times during the season, that guy was just a disruptor. He was a monster. Uh, so they're not going to be as disruptive. I can't imagine that these guys that are going to fill in like a Scott Patch and they're really banking on him to come through are going to be quite as effective as what they had along the defensive front last year. But I expect, expect the, uh, the front four to be still really formidable best in division. Trevon Hill, you mentioned him. He only played three games last year. Check out his numbers. He was in the backfield constantly. Like he had like four and a half tackles for loss in three games to start the season. So they really want him to step up and show what he can do because a lot's expected of him. And, and like I say, with Jackson and Willis gone, those guys were as good a pair as any in the country last year. And that's going to be difficult to replace, but I think they're going to have a good defensive front. I think they're going to take a step back. Probably you move back uh, a little bit in, in the defensive formation, and probably one of, if not one of the the, the high, you know, well thought of linebacker cores uh, in the nation. There, Shaq Quarterman, all all ACC in 2018, 39 starts, 249 tackles, 12 sacks, 31 tackles for loss. Here, Michael Pitney, all ACC honorable mention. Uh, two years running with 36 starts, 203 tackles, nine and a half sacks, 29 and a half tackles for loss. I mean, look, the, those two guys are you know the epitome of what Manny Diaz uh, looks for in the defense. But Zach McLeod's a senior as well, who has started 31 games. Uh, Romeo Romeo Finley only four starts, but 28 tackles, two interceptions uh, in, in 2018. So some stats to his name as well. Uh, Miami, they're going to be looking to create. You mentioned havoc uh, a while ago, and that stat. A lot of havoc is going to come from this linebacker core. Yeah, these guys have played together forever. Uh, I don't know how many people are old enough to remember like the Pittsburgh Steelers steel curtain where the linebackers played together for a decade. You know, Jack Ham and Jack Lambert and those guys are even uh, 25 years ago or so with the New Orleans Saints with Pat Swilling and Sam Mills and Ricky Jackson where those guys played together. This is about the college equivalent of that. These guys are seniors now. When you look at McLeod, Quarterman and Pinckney in particular, and uh, they played together and started together as freshmen. They have put four years together, and they've been pr extremely productive. Uh, Shaq Quarterman, he's the, he's the quarterback. He he runs the show. He's in the middle. Uh, he's the most productive, the most steady, the smartest, uh, really gets everybody set. And he's the leader emotionally uh, as well. Uh, Pinkney's more talented, more of a playmaker, more of a guy that runs around and um, – makes plays but uh yeah quarterman's a leader that's linebacking core that uh should be rated right up there as one of the best in the country and let's move defensive back before we wrap up here with, with miami before we move on to fsu here three starters mark <laughs> drafted off the uh nation's number one pass defense maybe a lot of people didn't know that but miami uh, the hurricanes did have um the number one pass defense last year, only giving up 135.6 yards per game uh, there in, in 2018 last season. So Michael Jackson's gone. Safety, Soldier uh, Redwine's gone. Jaquan, Jaquan Johnson's gone. Uh, what, how, how, how is Miami going to fill in those three guys leaving uh, for the 2019 season? Great question. 
The the secondary's thin. The secondary's thin. I, I do think when you look at the stats uh, uh, that you mentioned, it was pretty legit. But when you play Georgia Tech, I think that automatically would be <laughs> anybody's uh, defensive uh, uh, passing stats about uh, 10 spots. But uh, Trajan Bandy's uh, one of the best corners in the country, so he locks down one side. Uh, they get a very intriguing uh, jolt of talent from USC and transfer Bubba Bolden. Uh, he was a five-star. Uh, we haven't seen him play. Uh, he was suspended for 2018. He comes in from USC. Uh, again, we'll, we'll see if that's a real thing or is that just uh, fans getting excited about seeing a five-star on campus. But he, we know that the pedigree's there, the, the, um, the talent's there, but he hasn't played. Uh, but they're going to expect him to step in. Uh, you got uh, Benny Blade's son. You got Al Blades. Uh, he's at a corner position as well. And uh, yeah, the 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 talent at the starting spots for Miami is in pretty good shape, but they lack depth at running back. They lack depth at, along the offensive line. They lack depth in the secondary, and so they've got to stay healthy there. Mark, before we move on from Miami and look at FSU. What 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 I mean? What is the biggest question you know, Miami looks at when they're going to this uh, you know first week zero game with, with Florida? Okay, quarterback, offensive line. I, I don't think there's any question about those two positions. Uh, and, and like I say, there's hope at the quarterback position because you got three very talented players. Are they going to be ready? Whoever is is the choice for game one, uh, we shall see. Uh, offensive line's more of a commodity that is most likely still going to be a weak link. Uh, the quarterback is a wild card. The offensive line, again, they're going to have to do some things in the scheme to cover up for a bad offensive line because I don't expect it to be much better this year. All right, let's move on to Florida State here. Uh, as I said, the Gators' last opponent of the season and what coaches have to say uh, about them. The staff was was quote uh, the staff was probably too optimistic last year. Willie Tiger got his dream job and all of that, but that roster had serious problems. The offense did not work at all under Walt Bell. That was a really bad fit with the players and with Taggart. And now they're banking on Kendall Browse. The upside is that he usually gets successful quick. Look at Houston and FAU. He can put guys. He can put guys uh, in and adjust on the fly. The system won't look much different than last year, but you have a guy in Kendall who's really going to control all phases. Taggart trust him. They go way back. They have to get better on the offensive line. They were handed a short roster, but they also didn't look well coached at all. It killed their run game. James Blackman is good enough to start, but you have to think Alex Hornerbrook didn't transfer for one year not to play. Either one will be an improvement under DeAndre Francois. To put it politely, he didn't look coachable at all at times last year, and they need someone at that position in, uh, in this season to help them sell their new era. Defensively, they're strong, especially in the back. They're going to be a lot deeper at linebacker, especially. They lose Brian Burns in the pass rush, but they have some scary dudes inside on that line. Mark, of, uh, of course, you know, big rival for Florida, in-state rival that they play every year. They hire Willie Taggart. They have a disaster of, uh, of year one. It was supposed to be uh, you know, the, the, the Gulf Coast offense, uh, his offense, and after one season, they have to bring another offense in. What's really alarming about what Florida State did last year was I have people argue on the Florida State side, the fans that are defending Willie Taggart that say, okay, Jimbo Fisher went seven and six the year before and needed a bowl win against a group of five team to even get to seven and six. What's the difference? Five and seven. No, watch the games. 
Forget the record. Watch the game. The games were miserable for Florida State last year. They beat Boston College by a point. They beat Wake Forest, a decent Wake Forest team, by three touchdowns. They blew a lead and lost to Miami. Those were the three best games they played. Every other game was a disaster. Like, they weren't in games. They lost six of seven games by at least three touchdowns. Everybody blew them out. The season before, they're only going seven and six, but they don't look like a seven and six team. Like they look like a Florida State talented team, not vintage, but they're barely losing to Clemson. They're barely losing to anybody the year before. There is no comparison between what they showed us. And I think the most alarming thing, Dave, was that, and and you know, you watch Florida, Florida State, of course. Uh they they were they looked like the week one team. Uh, the week one yeah. team came out against Virginia Tech, scored three points. So what was the thought? Well, it's a big Monday night game. Virginia Tech must be really good this year. No, they're awful. They've got one of the worst defenses in the country in Power Five, and Florida State scored three points against them, and it didn't get much better. This team was so bad that they needed Louisville to cough up the ball yeah. to to beat Louisville, and Louisville won two group of five games, couldn't win a power five, couldn't win an ACC game. And they basically had to have the game handed to them. And, and as I started to say, uh, in week 12, game 12, they're still not lining up right. They're still committing just stupid penalties. They just look completely unprepared like they hadn't practiced. It, it, it was just alarming how bad they were for having a top 15 roster. All right, then that starts with the offensive line. Kind of, kind of a theme here <laughs> with Florida, Miami, and FSU. I'll have offensive line questions. And uh, you go back to to a year ago in FSU with 36 sacks given up. That was 109th nationally, 103 tackles for a loss. That was 128th nationally. All that bled over into the Seminoles averaging only 361, 361 uh, yards per game. That was 103rd. 21, 21.9 points per game, 113th in the nation, 5.12 yards per play. It was 110th in the nation. I mean, they got running backs, a talented backfield, just only 91.1 yards a game. It's 127th nationally. So there's a trend there uh, of being, you know, one of the nation's worst offenses. And uh, of course, a lot of people look at um, the offensive line as contributing to that. Why will it be different under Kendall Riles? Well, the track record. So I, I think you mentioned off the top uh, stops at Baylor, FAU, and Houston. What's the 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 component that you see in every stop is that the offense ranked at a certain level before he got there. When he was there, the numbers shot up. When he left, the numbers went right back down. So he's been successful at three stops in reinventing the offense and just scheming, finding the matchups, and working his his style. Now his style is very close in terms of up tempo, spread the field, get it in space to your playmakers. All the principles are pretty much the same as what Willie Taggart did. Um we'll see after we play 12 games whether he's just his his style of coaching and his ability to get through and and scheme it up is just that much more effective than Willie Taggart's, but the the concepts are pretty much the same. So at least the players have been through this style of offense for one season. I don't know how much they learned because it didn't stand yeah. a whole lot. But yeah, you, you mentioned the offensive line, and I think it also speaks to, so we can make fun of Florida, Florida State, Miami when it comes to the offensive line and not being able to, to get it right. But I also think it speaks to, if you look across the country, it is the toughest position to recruit, develop, and especially in the SEC, and we've talked about this, man, if you're not 
really strung along the offensive front, you will get exposed like no other conference in the nation because they're just freak athletes playing D end and outside linebacker in the spots that are just going to just expose uh, patchwork offensive line, even if you just have one or two weak links along the offensive line. But the Florida State um, situation, and I've done some videos on this, just kind of comparing the transition that took place in the ACC Coastal when they were the team. And then you could see Clemson coming under Taj Boyd, those teams, Sammy Watkins, they got really good, but Florida State would still slap them down in the big matchup that would decide the ACC every year for those couple of years. And then you saw that shift and you saw the transition and Clemson take over. But if you look at the recruiting rankings, Florida State, up until a couple of years ago, out-recruited Clemson, even when Clemson was taking them over. Uh, and then I've, in gaining some insight, some deeper insight with a lot of the people that I talk to, it's because we're both, Dave, I, I believe I can speak for you, believers in recruiting rankings, because over, over the long haul, they mean a whole lot. But in Florida State's case, they were very uneven in regards to positions. The offensive line like if the if the recruiting rankings would have been spoken to there and in regards to player development, that's where they didn't get it done. It was a neglected position. They had some things go against them. Uh, even this particular unit, probably the most talented player, uh, Landon Dickerson, is transferred out of the program. So they were counting on him this year. Um, so it's going to be a difficult spot again for Florida State football where – uh, the one pass I will give Willie Taggart is maybe the, the offensive line was just so bad last year and has been for a number of years, but it it really bottomed out last year to where the offense just didn't get run, you know, a large percentage of the plays. I'm looking at a number here uh, where uh, the advanced metrics uh, speak to how many yards do you gain on each down that's considered to be a successful down. And of course, on third and fourth down, that means you're converting regardless of the distance. And Florida State was 124th in the country in having success rate on each down. They just were behind the sticks the whole season. Yeah, I said, I said it seems to be a common theme with Miami, FSU, and Florida for offensive line, but it's for different reasons this year. FSU and Miami trying to bounce back from disappointing, and Florida's just trying to find pieces from, you know, just filling in a pretty good offensive line from last year. So just kind of inexperience uh, as far as Florida goes and maybe trying to get to a point that they were at uh, last year. So uh, let's take a look at uh, – uh, I found it interesting what that anonymous coach was saying about the quarterback position because it's just kind of assumed that James Blackman is going to be the guy, but he does bring up a good point. You know, Wisconsin graduate transfer out of Hornbrook comes in. He's just not, he's just not going to want to sit by idly and, and watch Blackman take the job. So it's a situation where Blackman, okay, how good is this kid? Well, he got thrown in. We remember the game two years ago against Alabama. Game one, Francois, a lot of, lot of hope. They're the third-ranked team in the country. He goes down. Blackman gets thrown in. He is completely unprepared. And actually, I thought he showed a lot of guts, a lot of uh, grit in standing in the entire season, playing uh, the full season, 19 touchdowns, 11 picks that year. Didn't play great, but considering the circumstances, a freshman, the kid was like 170 pounds, like, you know, soaking wet, uh, getting thrown around by a bad offensive line play and uh, withstood that, got a chance to take a breath, step back, didn't play a whole lot, just the four games last year, had one outstanding game against NC State with like over 400 yards and four touchdown passes. Um, so now 
you know, he could be, you know, who knows how much he's developed, uh, based on the experience he's already gained, but after a full spring session, summer individual workouts now here in the fall, I, I think it's about an 80% certainty that he's going to win the job. Uh, Alex Hornibrook's an interesting fit because I don't think he's a fit for the offense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but if you can get a guy that's a capable quarterback, knows what he's doing, has shown that he's got some talent, um, and has played and won big games at a place like Wisconsin, you, you know, you don't turn him down. Certainly bring him in. We need quarterbacks. They haven't recruited quarterbacks. They've been a little low. That's another place they've uh, neglected in, in recruiting and missed out on some guys that they counted on uh, bringing in. So, uh, yeah, Hornybrook in that offense, I don't know if that's a good fit based on what he uh, experienced at Wisconsin, but uh, he's capable, and, and I think Blackman's going to be the guy. I do think there is potential uh, at running back for Florida State and, and Cam Akers. Ankle injury last year, of course, the offensive line issues probably played a part there too. Uh, There's kind of a two-part question. Are, are you know from afar, are we too hard on Cam Akers and what he was able to do last year? And then also you're getting uh, uh, Kaylon Laybourne back, who I know they were excited about last spring uh, going into to, to last year, a uh, former five-star there, and ends up getting injured and not playing for FSU much last year. Uh, is is this a group that can really be counted on uh, for Florida State? You know, given that you know the offensive line is not going to take a huge jump. Can they be better? Of course they can be, but knowing what we know, knowing what they have, uh, the performance of last year, they're not going to just miraculously turn around and, and be one of the you know probably top thirty offensive lines in the country. So how, how do Cam Akers and Laybourne kind of kind of take that? Uh, uh, along with them kind of maybe having to make up the difference for an offensive line. Well, Dave, when you mentioned this uh, running back group, it's, it's almost not a group. <laughs> they've, they've got one guy and yeah. they've got another guy that they're hoping can stay healthy because he's such a talent. But th this is another area which they have not put the kind of numbers into the roster development. They have four running backs on the roster. And this isn't like Alabama, four running backs, guys that are going to play in the NFL, four running backs, and then like four other guys. They've got four running backs on the roster. So Cam Akers, I think he was recruited and signed to be the next Dalvin Cook in that offense, in more of a pro-style concept offense. I don't know. I think it's a difficult transition for him, or he's going to have to show us something. Not that he's a poor pass catcher, but I think he's used to being the tailback seven yards deep that uh, runs that style of offense. And so he's going to have to show us something that he can adjust. Yeah. How much was his fault last year versus, and how much was injury versus how much was just offensive line where he just didn't have a chance, but they really need Kalen Laybourne to, 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 to bust through and to provide at least support for Cam Akers because they have basically nothing else. You talk about nothing else. Can they get more uh, besides from to uh, uh, you know besides Tamori and Terry uh, at wide receiver? I know they like Gavin. I know they like Matthews there. Uh, Matthews probably the second best receiver uh, on the roster, and I really tired like what he did in the springtime. Uh, Terry, Terry's a weapon for him, but I think they can need can uh, they probably could be a little more uh, a little more con consistent behind him in, in the other spots at wide receiver. Yeah, uh, sounds like a broken record, but they recruited guys that uh, were highly ranked. Some of them defected like a George Campbell, moved on to Penn State. He was a high recruit. Uh, Tamari and Terry is a game changer. Uh, 21 yards per catch last year. Uh, a ton of touchdowns for only 35 receptions. I think eight touchdowns. So he's certainly uh, 
is maybe like their Jeff Thomas. I, I don't know if he's going to be a go-to 75 catch guy, uh, but he's certainly the game changer on that side of the ball. But uh, yeah, it, 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 the wide receiver core doesn't excite anyone. I don't think that they're overly, um, you know, it's a talented group to a certain extent, but not an elite group by any stretch. And uh, yeah, DJ Matthews is a good player. And um, we'll, we'll see. Again, it's a, it's almost a domino effect and football is the ultimate team sport. If you don't have the line blocking for the quarterback, the wide receiver is the most dependent player on the field. Uh, he really can be taken out of a game if he doesn't, you know, the, the ball obviously doesn't make it his way. They can be taken out of the game. So I, I think it's a decent unit. I think it's a mid-level ACC unit at wide receiver. Mark Rogers from Mark Rogers TV, his YouTube channel. You can find him there uh, for a, a whole multitude and great content uh, of college football, basically covering uh, college football as a whole and, and really concentrating on uh, Miami FSU uh, for us here today and on his channel every Wednesday uh, as well. Brian Burns leaves on the on the defensive line, Mark, and then you know Kendo Robinson there. Uh, I know two guys I, I know they like and kind of. Only two guys with significant playing experience as well on the defensive line. Yeah, Marvin Wilson has a ton of productivity uh, on his record, but uh, Brian Burns isn't going to be replaced. Uh, and that's uh, something that's not typically said at a program like Florida State, unless the guy is just an all-time, all-time great. And Brian Burns isn't quite that, but he was he was that good. And he's just a difference maker that I don't see anywhere else on the front seven. I don't see those types of players. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, yeah, Marvin Wilson's a really good player, productive last year, but he plays inside. Mm -hmm. uh, at the next level, Dontavius Jackson, he's a good player as well. Uh, the linebacking core has been very substandard by Florida State uh, uh, standards over the last several seasons, but the coaches think that they're going to be better. People that cover Florida State on a daily basis that are there uh, think that the linebacking core is going to take a step back, meaning a step forward, I should say, and bounce back to becoming a, a, the kind of unit that we expect it to be. Uh, so so the defense, um, the, we talk about advanced metrics and talk about the stats that uh, kind of tell the story be, behind uh, the traditional stats. Florida State was last in the country last year in field position differential. Mm. That just speaks to bad punting. That speaks more so to the offense just putting the defense in a bad position. So you're going to give up more points. You're going to give up, uh, bottom line, more points uh, being put in that kind of situation over and over and over again. So, you know, the, the, the units have to work together and the defense was just put in a bad spot. Uh, they gave up the fifth most touchdowns of passing uh, in the nation last year, 30 touchdown passes through the air. Uh, so the two corners, uh, Asante Samuels and uh, uh, Stanford Samuel, uh, don't get them confused. One has an S at the end, <laughs> the other one doesn't. But, uh, of course, Asante Samuels, the son of uh, the great NFL corner. Uh, I think they're two really good players, but they didn't get the kind of pass rush outside of Burns that they needed consistently. I think they're going to mature. Uh, they're coming off freshman and sophomore season, so they were baptism under fire. I think they're better. I think the secondary is the best unit on the field uh, for Florida State. Levante Taylor's a really good player. If I'm not mistaken, you might correct me. This is uh, coming from memory. I think two years ago he had two picks against Florida, and I think he brought one back for a touchdown. Uh, and uh, the, I try to forget that game, Mark. 
Oh, that was a bad one. That's right. Two years ago. You made up for it this past year. You made up for it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Forget that four-win season. Uh, but, man, they've got a kid in the secondary. He's kind of their version of uh, – although he's shown on the on the uh, actual collegiate field that he can play. But uh, Lars uh, would be uh, – Jaden Lars would be. He was a kid that was highly sought after. Almost went to Ohio State. Almost went to USC. Uh, he goes to Florida State, and he's um, the next Derwin James type. Uh, he could just be a disruptor all over the place, safe, play safety, drop back in coverage, and then the next down, you know, he's an edge rusher. That's what they're looking for him to do. I think the secondary by far is the best unit on the field, both sides of the ball for Florida State. Yeah, I can agree with that, too. It's probably not vintage FSU either, but they still have, you know, state of Florida athletes, Florida athletes back there, uh, you know, for the for the most part there. But the area that I think they have to improve, and it was for a defense as the year went on, Mark, just so many big chunks of uh, of yardage just, just given up. And, you know, Florida, like LaMichael Piran before that game, wasn't necessarily known as a, a, a home run threat at the running back position, but the first touchdown Florida scores is the 50-yard run by LaMichael Piran where a linebacker is out of position, a safety doesn't come up and make the tackle, and, and he's off to the races there. Uh, just, you know, ter- terrible angles, just like, you know, just out of position and maybe, you know, going back to the whole kind of message here, just not very coach well last year. You know, th- I think their, their first – probably um, aspect that they need to fix on defense. It's just really cutting out those big chunk yardage plays. Absolutely. Uh, I also think that their schedule is a little bit lighter this year. Uh, they got hit with a pretty brutal schedule. They had uh, you guys, uh, so a much better Florida team than they had the year before. They had Notre Dame on the schedule outside the conference. Uh, so a little bit lighter uh, of a, a run for them. But um, the opener is important for everyone, for them, considering what they went through last year. Uh, against Boise State, a team that even though it should be a really good game, they're expected to win. Uh, that's going to be a more important game for them than the week one games are for other teams, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Because you uh, with, with the, the questions surrounding the staff there in Tallahassee, you get off to the wrong foot there and it's just going to, the fan base is just going to get louder and then and the nation going to get louder as well for uh, you know what Willie Tiger is doing there uh, in Tallahassee. That's Mark Rogers from Mark Rogers TV. Joining me here on Gators Breakdown, breaking down Miami and FSU, the bookend uh, of Florida schedule there. Mark, one more time, uh, where, everybody, where, where can everybody find you for uh, all the great college football content you provide? Just go to Mark Rogers TV right here on YouTube. Mark Rogers TV. We also have the audio versions on Google Play, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and the rest. But uh, the main version's there on uh, YouTube at Mark Rogers TV. All right, I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.